The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Uh, for me, you know, when I read poetry or prose that comes through my skin and straight to my heart and pretty much bypasses my head, mm. when that happens, you know, when I'm sort of absorbing it through my skin and it instantly moves me or takes me to a place that I've never been to, that surprises and thrills me and, and cracks the universe open in some way, then you know, then I think it's great. I think it, it's really done its job and, and it's very special. Greetings and welcome back to The Writer Files. I'm your host, Kelton Reed. And this week, the best-selling novelist, award-winning adventure writer and journalist, Peter Heller, jumped on the phone to talk with me about his early life as a starving poet, breaking into journalism, how he makes things up for a living, and what it's like to be compared to your heroes. Peter is a longtime contributor to NPR, a former contributing editor at Outside Magazine, Men's Journal, and National Geographic Adventure, and he received an MFA from the Iowa Writers Workshop in Fiction and Poetry, as the author of four nonfiction books and the winner of the National Outdoor Book Award for Literature. Heller is also a notable best-selling author of a half dozen novels, including The Dog Stars, a lauded breakout bestseller, now published in 22 languages, The Painter, and Celine, a finalist for the LA Times Book Prize that also won the prestigious Reading the West Book Award shared in the past by Western writer Cormac McCarthy. His latest novel, and Edgar Award nominee The River, has been called a heart-pounding survival story of two college students on a wilderness canoe trip, and a gripping tale of a friendship tested by fire, whitewater, and violence. The New York Times called the river a modern-day survival tale with the urgency of a thriller. A quick note on the audio quality, Peter joined me by phone, but the interview vastly improves after the first couple minutes, so please stick with it. It's a great one. In this file, Peter and I discussed how the author channels his fictional characters, the only way to start a novel, why once you start making it up, you can never go back. Productivity hacks for writing 1,000 words a day, rain or shine. The importance of connecting with your writing community and fantastic advice from other award-winning authors to help you relax and let it rip. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. 
and leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. You can always reach out to me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Also, The Writer Files is now available on Alexa because Apple Podcasts are available on Alexa-enabled Amazon devices in the United States. Now all you have to do is say, Alexa, play The Writer Files on Apple Podcasts and she'll probably grant your wish. Stay tuned. All right, we are back on The Writer Files and I am very excited to be joined by an honored and honorable guest today i've got best-selling author peter heller thanks for coming on today man it's great to be here with you yeah so uh as we were discussing a little bit earlier <laughs> um we have peter on the phone today which is you know obviously um we do our best to to get authors uh in their natural habitats so uh <laughs> if it sounds like <laughs> we're chatting on the phone that's because we are and, um, but very grateful to have you today. And, uh, I forgot to ask, do you go by Peter or do you go by Pete? Uh, d- depends what mood, whoever's talking to me is in. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the Cowboys out in Western, Western Colorado, all say Pete because they don't know how to say Peter. <laughs> well, perfect. Um, well, as you're explaining a little bit, you're a tad, uh, bit of a Luddite. Yeah. So maybe before we dig into um, what you got going on more recently. I'd love to turn the clock back as we do with uh, renowned authors and just take us back a little bit because I understand you've got this really storied career as, as a journalist and a nonfiction author and you know, you've been a contributing editor at Outside Magazine and worked with National Geographic and all these exciting things. And of course, uh, you know, you write in the adventure genre, but, but you have this incredible past. So maybe go back a little bit and, and tell the audience how you kind of fell into writing and then, and then, you know, came up and became this, uh, the best selling author that you are today. <laughs> okay. <we're laughs> the, short, the, sh- the short, uh, the short version. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so my dad read, read to me every night before I went to bed, pretty much. And he, he started with a lot of poetry and I was reading, e, he was reading E.E. E. Cummings to me when I was like six, Yates at 11. And I wanted to be a poet. And then, uh, I was walking around my little school library in Brooklyn Heights where I grew up and the, the librarian was named Annie Bosworth. She's, she was English. And I had a big crush on her and I would have married her that day for just how she said my name. She said, Pita. <laughs> and uh, he looking for something to read. And I was something up. Yeah. And she pulled off a short book, of short stories called in our time by Ernest Hemingway. And it, you know, I wanted to do that. And I wanted to fish like he did and can't and make, you know, camp by the big two hearted river and make coffee over an open fire. But mostly what I wanted to do was write like this guy did. And, So I sort of grew up wanting to write and writing, you know, all through my life, um, short stories and and poems. I got out of college. I had to make a living. And I was uh, a passionate outdoorsman. And by then, I was kayaking all the time. And I was kayaking some fairly crazy stuff. And one day, a friend of mine, we were skiing. And this guy, he worked at at a ski area as a ski instructor. He'd always get me. I was always broke. You know, I I was instructing kayaking. I was uh, building houses, you know, doing all that stuff you do to try and piece together a living when you're a poet. 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, we were skiing. When he got, he'd get me a free ticket, my buddy, uh, to, to, to ski with him. And he was an instructor up at Breckenridge. And one day after skiing, he said, you know, why don't you combine your interests and write for Outside Magazine? And, you know, when you're young and dumb, you don't really know what you can't do. So I picked up a magazine, found the name of an editor who sounded nice. I called the 800 number for, you know, outside and outside, uh, Laura Honhold, please. <laughs> <laughs> Second minute, Laura here. And then, you know, I was like, holy crap. And I started talking as fast as I could. And I just said, you know, I, I published a short story in Harper's just recently. And that was sort of true. Uh, it was a little, it was a little reprint of a, of a journal story from my college. And, uh, I said, you know, I kayak class five and I think you should send me to the Tibetan plateau to kayak this river. That's never been done. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Did. And, uh, a guy died on the first day and he died in my arms and I, you know, in this practice run wow. and it was, um, he was on his honeymoon. It was, it was really sad. And I came back from that and I was devastated said, you know, I can't write your story. She said, well, what happened? You know, for 45 minutes, I kind of vented and she said, go write that. And that was their submission for the national magazine awards that year. And it sort of launched this career in, you know, adventure. I, I kayaked all around the world on expeditions and, you know, the Caucasus, the Pamirs and the Andes. And, um, as I, you know, as I wrote about these trips for outside and other magazines, I began to see that the, you know, the ecosphere was unraveling and I started writing more and more environmental stories. And then, you know, I was writing for, I'd followed one editor, Brad Wiener, through a bunch of magazines and he was then at Business Week and he was paying me really well. And I, I thought, you know, I think I have nine months to write that novel that I've always wanted to write. I mean, that whole career as an adventure writer and environmental writer was a, was a joyful diversion, you know, but I was using all the techniques I'd learned in poetry and short stories in my articles. And, you know, I thought it was just a few years ago and I thought, you know, it's time to write that novel. I think I have nine months, uh, save, you know, money saved up where I don't have to take a story. And I went to my coffee shop and I sat down and and I started with the first line. I had no idea where it was going to go. And, and I wrote the dog stars in like seven months flat, in like a white heat. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> That's how it went. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow. A DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. 
I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing story. So, so you turned kind of this, this adventure writing life and lifestyle into now fiction and so you've written now the river is your fourth novel is that right it's actually my fifth or sixth depending on you know how you want to count them i see <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. fourth one published with Knopf vintage you know one went in a drawer um one was just published on script the um it's a it's a, a subscription network uh-huh a novel I really love, very quiet, called The Orchard. It's all it's all women. It's told from the point of view of an eight year old girl. Um, so something very different for me. And um, but yeah, fourth fourth novel with with Knopf and Vintage. And um, you know, I should say, Kelton, that you know, writing fiction, it wasn't like you know, how did you know I become a fiction writer or anything? But because of my history with it, it was like coming home. You know, I mean, when hmm. I finally got to sit down and write fiction. It was just like, you know, taking the gloves off, you know, I could sort of take that hand from behind my back and just let my, you know, go full cylinders, full bore, you know, it's just, it was just thrilling. Yeah. Well, it's cool. I mean, I know that you've been compared to some, some literary lions and, and of course I am also a huge fan of Cormac McCarthy and uh, you know, your work has been compared to him how much was he an influence on you at all in the early days or was it more, more, oh, oh, more, yeah. I can tell you yeah. a funny story about that. Yes, definitely. I love his work. And you know what I love about it most? I don't think people think of him as maybe a lyrical writer, but he really is. And yeah, I love the music of his language. And when I sat down to write the dog stars, <laughs> the first novel, right? I got I was sitting down at this table in the coffee shop and I write, I keep the beast running I keep the low lead on tap. I foresee attacks. It turns out to be aircraft fuel. A few lines later, my name is Hig. One name, big Hig if you need another. If I ever woke up crying in the middle of a dream, and I'm not saying I did, it's because the trout are gone, every one. And as soon as I heard that, you know, I was like, okay, I'm listening, you know, keep talking. And I, I got a few pages in, and it was as if this guy was sort of sitting on the other side of a campfire from me on an October night with the wind blowing the flames around. And he, and he told me what happened to him a few years ago. And it was so compelling. But I realized a few pages in that this was an apoc- post-apocalyptic story. And I thought, crap, I don't want to write a post-apocalyptic story. <laughs> <laughs> because... First of all, this is my big chance to write a novel, and I, I want to write literary fiction. You know, I don't want to write genre, and you know, sort of that snobism. And then I thought, also, if this gets published, it's going to get compared to The Road. And first time out as a debut novelist, you don't want to get compared to Cormac McCarthy. You know, so mm. uh, I had a little bit of you know 
flutter of doubt, but but soon, you know, I, I realized that Higgs' voice was so, you know, it was it was so compelling, and there was no way to ignore it. So I, ju- I just went for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's pretty it's pretty um, impressive, and of course, um, you continue the very very compelling and and uh, lyrical storytelling with the river, and you know, I I, I just think comparing your story and your um past with journalism and poetry and so on and so forth you know i can't help but look at kind of Ernest hemingway's life and his his early years as a journalist kind of some of his rules for writing and and uh you know things like the iceberg effect that he, he used to uh was such an effective storytelling manner but yeah going back i mean it seems like you've been influenced by all of these different things obviously you're kind of um bent for talking about climate change kind of early on or, 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 you know, as you said, kind of these environmental stories. And then of course your past as a kayaker um, and some of the, the death defying feats uh, that you under underwent all around the world. But yeah, so let's talk about the river because you know, you're, you're back on tour, your novels being published this week as a, a paperback. How does that feel? And, and uh, yeah, talk a little bit about how all of these things kind of informed the river because it's a, it's a really, really amazing story. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so I started the river with a first line, you know, as I always do. And it was, they'd been smelling smoke for two days. And pretty quick, there's these two young men. Um, and I realized, you know, that they're, way up north in Canada on a string of lakes that flow into a river that then flows a couple hundred miles into Hudson Bay, you know, where the polar bears are. Hmm. It's very remote and very wild. And they are smelling smoke. They're lifting their noses like coyotes, you know, throughout the day so that it's not only morning and evening when it might be the campfire on the wind, you know, from another expedition, but maybe it's a forest fire. They climb a hill and then they see this thing. And I'm not spoiling it because this is all on the first page, but (laughs) they climb a hill at dusk and they look to the Northwest and they see this glow on the horizon. And they think, you know, it must be the setting sun, but it's, it's not, it's too late for that. And it flutters and sort of breathes and it covers two quadrants and they realize, you know, it's the biggest forest fire they could ever imagine. And it scares them to the bone. And that's how the book starts. And, you know, it just pretty much ratchets up from there (laughs) with people that they meet and, uh, and trials that they undergo and, and the challenges to their friendship, but they're, they're two best friends from college. They both go to, to Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. One's a ranch kid. Jack is a ranch kid from Western Colorado. He's he's tough the way those guys are. He spent half his life in the saddle, making breakfast over an open fire and and sleeping out under the stars are second nature to him, you know, they like breathing. And he's a, he loves to fly fish and paddle and he's a voracious reader. And when <laughs> is really different. He, and Jack is also, he suffered a tragedy when he was 11, when he was a kid, something really, really awful happened. And I won't, I won't spoil it, but it's made him wary of the world a bit. And he's more skeptical of people 
you know, they got to sort of prove their worth and their goodness. And when his best friend is, is really different. He's, he's a, he's a gentle giant. He's like six, five, he kind of stoops protectively over people. Uh, he believes the best in everybody. Uh, and he loves to make ephemeral art out of rocks and sticks and feathers and, you know, a la Goldsworthy. And, and so he's an artist, but he's also a consummate outdoorsman and loves to fish. And these guys bond, you know, right away, first day of school, they, they, they share a love of literature and books. They love art and, uh, you know, they love to fish and paddle and, and hike. So these are these two guys and they're looking forward to just a leisurely month, you know, uh, canoeing, yeah. uh, down this long wilderness river and, and doesn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Um, well, it, I mean, congratulations. And uh, the work speaks for itself. It was nominated for the 2020 Edgar Allan Poe Awards, which is pretty cool to see you up there with um, some other fantastic authors. But that was a thrill. It's um, become a bestseller already. The New York Times said, a modern day survival tale that takes on the urgency of a thriller. And of course, um, you know, there's some of that genre cross-pollination right and it's uh mm-hmm. yeah it's really cool cool that the that our uh denver post i am also in denver mm. called it terrifying and unutterably beautiful um nice of them uh, uh yeah. <laughs> and uh you know a heart-pounding story of desperate wilderness survival so so you you're writing what you know <laughs> we could say um a yeah. little bit yeah but uh yeah, I mean, there is, um, well, the writing is, is really fantastic. So congratulations on all the success. But um, yeah, let's talk about um, what you got planned next. I know you're kind of back out there um, doing some events. I'm going to try to catch you at the Tattered Cover bookstore, which I love. Um, of course, there's a couple of those, one downtown and yep. one up on Colfax. They're both very cool. Uh, which one are you going to yeah. be at? I'll be there on March 11th at Colfax. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So what, what are you working on now? Are you back to the grindstone? Are you working on more fiction? Do you have yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, aspirations? You know, um, yeah. I mean, once you start, like for me, you know, once I start, once you start making it up, you know, you never go back. Yeah. It's what, you know, I always wanted to do as a journalist, never could <laughs> make right. the story better. Uh, but it's, you know, fiction is what I've always really wanted to do. And it's um, such a thrill. And so I, and also, you know, once, once I began doing what I've wanted to do since I was 11, I just, I just go, you know, a hundred miles an hour. I just want to go full bore and I don't stop. I mean, you know, I've, I finished the river, I finished the orchard and now I'm, you know, I'm into the next one and I hope I finish it, you know, by summer, you know, just keep going. I, I, I love it. You know, actually it's, you know, it's not a grindstone for me. I just, there's, it's the very best part of my day is when I, when I sit down at the table at the coffee shop and just let myself get transported. And I try not to think, you know, I just, I just put these Bose headphones on, play, rain i have this app that plays you know rain in uh, the woods with thunder yeah oh, totally. <laughs> just let it rip and just uh get transported it's, it's it's amazing that's cool are you a morning or an evening uh 
author? Do you do a little bit of both? Oh, morning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I get up, I have a couple of cups of coffee, I go to the coffee shop, I get a, you know, double espresso latte and, and, uh, and go for it. And, and I write a thousand words a day, every day, and always go past a thousand words so that I'm, I always stop in the middle of something. I never let myself, you know, go overboard. I don't write twice as much or, you know, get on a tear. I just garner that energy. I go just past a thousand words. So I'm in the middle of something exciting and then I stop and, and then I can't wait to get up in the morning, you know, and, and continue. Yeah. So yeah, well, that was uh that was a Hemingway's trick too, wasn't it? Yeah. I think he sort of did the same thing. I'm not sure about his word count, but he would, he would put a few lines for the next day, you know, on the page. So that he had something to go back to. So, so that you're not, you know, you're not coming back to white space every morning. Yeah. Um, I have author friends that, you know, get really excited and they'll, and they'll continue a scene, you know, they'll write double or triple their quota, you know, 2000 words or whatever, and finish the scene and then say, whoo, that was great. Go on with the rest of their day. But, but if you do that, then you come back to double return, a transition, white space and, you know, you might as well start the book every day. And so, so I found this method and it's, it's, it's awesome. You know, it, it just generates so much momentum. I like that. It's a good one. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about uh writer's block? Have you ever run up against it? Is it a myth? I don't think it's a myth. I think it's very real for people uh, to me, you know, but to me, it's like, it's this kind of perfectionism that I, that I just can't have in my life. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, I think, I think, you know, if you're all right, and I have, I have sat down before and just written rhythms, basically scat, you know, just word sounds just to get a cadence going. And I don't really worry about if what I'm writing any particular day is any good, you know, I'm just making clay and you have revision, you can tighten up where it's slow, you can take out the bad stuff. You can add stuff where you need it. And so, you know, I really, really believe in just letting it run. You know, you can, there's always something that you're, that you're listening to some voice you're listening to or, or some thought that you have as, as, as mundane as it might be. And I, and I think that if you just let it rip, um, don't care too much about how good it is. Uh, you will come to what you're really concerned about pretty quickly. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's interesting. You know, do you, do you think you picked up some of that um, wisdom from the Iowa Writers Workshop was a very storied and, and well-regarded program. And you, you studied there 
correct? Yeah. Did both poetry. Did. Yeah. Yeah. I studied, well, I applied, you know, it's, it's really hard to get into. So I, I applied to fiction and poetry. They're sort of two separate schools that are under one roof. And I thought I'll just double my chances. I'd like to write both. So, um, I got into both, which was amazing. Wow. And wow. I went and I didn't go until I was 32 because you're living in, you know, I was living in Western Colorado, so beautiful. And I was fishing and, and running and kayaking and, you know, why go to the cornfields of Iowa to study? But what was happening was, I, and I was already making a living as a writer, but um, I was missing, you know, the poetry and 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 just a, an attention to pure literature. And so uh, I went and I discovered that Iowa is really beautiful and that the Iowa River that runs through Iowa City is really beautiful and, and the woods and the hills and, and, and the and the cornfields are, are beautiful to run in and the people are sweet in general. And I loved being around, you know, 50 other people who thought who lived and breathed poetry and thought it was the most important thing on earth. It was, it was so great. And it's not Hmm. that, you know, I really learned a ton, you know, in the classroom because I don't, I don't think you ever really do as a writer, but what was, I learned a lot from was swapping books with other smart and passionate students, you know, and, you know, Hey, look at this poem. Look at, look at what John Dunn is doing with the rhythm and these lines, you know, look at this short story. And it was, it was, it was awesome. I I was so grateful for that, you know, couple of years. Yeah. Amazing. Well, what do you think in your estimation makes a writer truly great? Man, I think, I think, I mean, for me, I think it's so personal and I think we all have, I mean, there's the canon, I guess there's a bunch of professors that sort of have a consensus on what's great. I don't know how, how they decide, but, <laughs> uh, for me, you know, when I read poetry or prose that comes through my skin and straight to my heart and pretty much bypasses my head mm. when that happens, you know, when I'm sort of absorbing it through my skin and it instantly moves me or takes me to a place that I've never been to, that surprises and thrills me and, and cracks the universe open in some way, then, you know, then I think it's great. I think it, it's really done its job and, and it's very special. Hmm. Hmm. Um, do you have a few favorites presently? Do you got a couple sitting on your nightstand you want to mention? Anybody you're just kind of stuck on presently? Yeah, I'm reading a lot of Spanish language writers now. And oh, yeah? uh, I love this guy, Mutis, M-U-T-I-S. He's Colombian. He was a contemporary and friend of Garcia Marquez. Wrote a tremendous book of seven novellas that link novellas called The Adventures and Misadventures of McCroll. Um, I'm reading this guy, Ira, who's like so prolific. I think he's in his 70s and he's an Argentinian and... Uh, he just writes these slim little crazy books that are they're they're so speakers will you know switch genders in the middle of the book and uh, <laughs> uh the hair the, the the hair the rabbit that the expedition is looking for you know will fly away and all the mapuche indians will start speaking in you know hegelian dialectics that kind of thing <laughs> wow they're just crazy but they're so good they're so well written and so I, you know, I love him and I love Murakami, the Japanese novelist. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I love his prose for the way you don't really care what happens with a plot. You know, you just sort of <laughs> love the voice and the, yeah. the speakers, the narrator, the narrators are, are usually very, they have this sort of flat affect and they're sort of passive. You know, they, maybe they run a jazz bar or they're a PR guy and their life is pretty, you know, it's pretty quotidian and they just like to go home and they usually just divorce and they make pasta and they listen to classical music. And then, you know, stuff happens, you know, the, <laughs> the cat will start talking or the, or the sheep or they'll, you know, a second moon will appear in the sky and, and you're so, you're so enamored of the writing and the voice. You're so willing to go there. And I think that's genius too, you know, that, that you can tilt into the surreal and take your, take your reader with you gladly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's some of the stuff that I, that I, that I'm reading all the time. Well, I got a couple of fun ones here for you before you wrap up. Um, with any advice you have for your fellow scribes. Uh, do you have a favorite literary character kind of of all time? <laughs> I think it would have to be Huck Finn. I don't know. I mean, I, I really related to Huck, you know, when I was a kid and I still do. And I think a lot of that, you know, it's a, Huck Finn is a very American character. This idea that you could, you know, you could step off, of land into a river current on a raft with your friend and, you know, have an adventure and leave that past life behind. It's very American and recreate yourself and meet whatever comes with, you know, sort of a wry eye, a wry sense of humor and um, a certain gameness and a real uh, emotional intelligence that Huck has. I just, I just love the kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right. If you could choose one author from any era for an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite restaurant in the world, who would you take and where would you take them? And yes, it would be all-expenses-paid. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> hmm. Oh, I, I, maybe I'd take Charles Dickens. Huh. <laughs> be, but actually, you know, actually thinking about it now, you know, I might take either Li Bai or Wang Wei. These are two of my favorite Chinese Tang Dynasty poets, you know, from mm. way back, mm-hmm. 8th century. Yeah. And why I might take those guys is because they were so fun. They love to drink rice wine and just make <laughs> up songs and poems and stay up all night, you know, and... uh so I might, I'd take one of those guys, probably, probably Lee by just because his, his poems are so amazing. And, um, let's see where, where, where would we eat? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I think I would probably have to take, take him to Peter Luger's steakhouse. <laughs> we <laughs> okay. go mafia watching. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Mafia watching. Mafia watching with Lee Bai. That's a that sounds like a, a poem to be written. There you go. <laughs> see, see how we do it here. We <laughs> we're coming yep, up with, yep. with new new literature all the time inside yeah, the man. show. It's very meta. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Well, I'll, I will of course point and link to your home base there, PeterHeller.net, and uh, I'll link to. The book, of course, The River, 
a novel by Peter Heller, which has just gotten some really, really amazing praise. Uh, the New York Times Book Review called it a suspenseful tale told with glorious drama, lyrical flair, um, lots of other amazing amazing uh, reviews there. We'll link to that. Is there anywhere else you want to point listeners to to kind of connect with you out there in the world or find out more about uh, where you'll be? Uh, well, let's see. I, you know, I'm, I'm on Facebook, I guess, and that has my um, tour schedule. And I guess, you know, I, like I, you said at the beginning of the show, I'm a Luddite. And I should probably post my hmm. tour schedule on my website, right? That would be a good idea. <laughs> 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 but if people are curious, they can just look for my uh my Facebook posts, they're public, um, and Peter Heller author and, um, the tour schedules there too. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, um, as we wrap up here, do you want to just, uh, maybe drop a, a pearl of wisdom for, for listeners who may be struggling or, or, you know, um, wondering how to keep going and keep the ink flowing. Any, any advice to them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I really do believe in this sort of modified Graham Reed method that I that I described before, and I think it's so important to make it just a little, you know, to write a little bit every day. If, you know, if your time is limited, your energy, you know, set your quota at 200 words or 500. But it's amazing how those, you know, those bricks add up, uh, how fast they do. And I really believe in, you know, stick to make, you know, whatever quota that you set, you think you can do with good energy write that don't write less than that every day and go just past it till you're in the middle of something and that's exciting right. and and you you'll develop a lot of momentum that way and don't worry about if it's any good you know you can i will i you know what i'd like to leave with one piece of advice that uh a local colorado author gave me which is the best thing i ever heard from another writer I was in Paonia. i was struggling uh because there's dog stars um I had just sat down every day sort of saying, just listen, don't think, don't think, just listen. And it sort of wrote itself. I got to the painter and I started thinking about it. You know, like mm. this guy kills a guy. Should he have a brother? Should the brother fall into Santa Fe? When should he go? I was thinking, gosh, I'm thinking about it. That can't be good. I didn't think about the last one and it came out really well. So I was struggling with this. I was in Paonia, Colorado on the West Slope where, the painter takes place. And I was in the coffee shop where my protagonist actually meets his model in the novel, the actual coffee shop. And it's tiny. And there's one table in the middle. You're going to meet anyone who's in there. And guess who was in there? Paolo Bacigalupi, the great science fiction mm. writer. And this mm-hmm. guy's run, won Hugo Awards, you know, Andromeda Awards, you know, big bestsellers. So we got to talking the way writers do. And I t- describing this sort of struggle and he's, he's a lot younger than me, but he picked up his coffee cup cup and he said, sit down, son. <laughs> I want to tell you a story. And he said, I wrote two short stories, one sort of fugue state. I kind of felt like I, I just woke up and it was done. I sent it in, it won a big award and I love it. Then I wrote one where I controlled every second of the plot, planned every second of the plot engineered the characters to, do, to, uh, to interact a certain way in every scene, total control, sent it in, it won a big award and I love it. And now when I hold them both up, I love them both and I can't tell the difference. Mm. And he leaned forward and he said, your job is just to make sure it doesn't suck. <laughs> and the whole creative burden just lifted off my shoulders. I thought, you know, that's one thing I can probably do. You know, it, it, what he was saying was, 
you know, you've got revision, rely on your craft. As I said, you know, you could move stuff around, add stuff, take stuff away, just make sure it's not terrible. And what he was also saying that was so marvelous is that every story can have a different method. Don't sweat it. You know, if you, if you want to outline, outline. If you want to let it rip, let it rip or, or block it out a little bit and then let it rip again. And, uh, you know, you'll get there. And don't sweat the method so much. So my, so my, my, my overall thing is just write some every day and, and read some books and, and you'll be good. Yeah, yeah. So just to revisit, you, you called that the modified Graham Greene method. Did I yeah, get that because name wrong? Graham Greene yeah. used, nope, that's it. He used to write 500 words every day. I read yeah. that and he was, this was back when there was no computers and he would just keep a, a subtotal in the margin of his notebook. He's a great novelist, English novelist, and and he would stop at word 500, like the middle of a sentence, the middle of dialogue, in the middle of a love scene, you know. And I realized when I'd read that, what he was doing, he was stopping in the middle. And he was hmm. also being very disciplined about it, writing a certain amount every day. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and it reminds me of actually an interview that I did with Elizabeth Gilbert. She wrote um, Eat, Pray, Love, and handful of other pretty big, big, uh, books, but she was also a journalist. And of course that memoir made her famous, but yeah, she had a, a similar kind of creative process and, and, um, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find where she said, and I, I like this quote. She said, I abide by Goethe's rule, never hurry, never rest. And, uh, that always stuck like with that. me. Yeah. yeah. Good one. <laughs> All right. All right, Peter. (laughs) It's been truly a pleasure, and congrats on the work. Uh, We'll look for the river out there in paperback. We'll do all the links, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And please come back and visit us again. I will. Thanks a lot, Kevin. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us. You can always leave us a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.